Hello, and welcome to Divisive Issues, the foul-mouthed, spoiler-filled comic book podcast where two fans and two non-fans talk about controversial and noteworthy comic books. And it's a special crossover extravaganza. Ah, uh, not one of these forced things by editorial. Yeah, crisis <laughs> on infinite flying machines something. So, for the July Patreon drive, we're trying to hype up the Patreon, so we have a special guest, and I guess we'll introduce ourselves first. I'm Ryan. I'm Phil. I'm Daryl. And to get, today, we have Nick Wood from Stranger Hello. Still. That's wow. me. Wow. Are, so you're replacing Sly? Yeah, I, had, I murdered him and shoved him in my closet, and you'll never hear from him again. <laughs> you know what? That is something Sly would like do to someone, so you are a good Sly. <laughs> I think the most likely person to murder Sly and shove him in a closet is Sly. <laughs> so... Now, we took this editorially mandated crossover event, this, and we... We're trying to sell more toys. We're turning it on its head, where we're subverting the trope, where we're supposed to do a crossover with Stranger Still, but instead, we're kind of doing a crossover with your show that's not on the network, Nick. It's, it is, but it's also just because um, I have a, a sheer obsession with Scooby-Doo that pretty much defines any personality traits that I seem to have. What does that... Do you mean, like, you you were a blank slate, and then you watched the show, and you started to adapt to, like, all the characters on screen? Yeah, so anytime oh, okay. someone's like, man, you're you're so funny, which, like, one person has ever said to me, it's because of Scooby-Doo. <laughs> everything, I, everything I say is a direct quote from Scooby-Doo, including this. Mm. Oh, wow. <laughs> Whoa. So, if you haven't gotten... The hint, we are going to be doing a Scooby-Doo comic, but yeah. not just any Scooby-Doo comic. We are going to be covering Scooby Apocalypse, issues one through six, by Keith Giffen, J.M.D. Mateus, and Howard Porter. And this is, if you remember our Flintstones episode, this was launched at right around the same time. This was the only ongoing. All the other mm-hmm. Hanna-Barbera books were like miniseries or maxi series, but this one was an ongoing that actually just wrapped up this year. So it went for like three years of a book. So before we start, how many of us, obviously Nick loves Scooby-Doo, how many of us have experience with Scooby-Doo, have watched it? It depends uh, uh, no. what you mean by like experience, because <laughs> I feel like it's always, I've seen Scooby-Doo episodes, but everything's been peripheral. Like I even watched that, the Scooby-Doo live action movie, but it's like, I've retained nothing from it. <laughs> I won't hold it against you. <laughs> I liked Scooby-Doo as a kid, but my brother was like a huge, huge Scooby-Doo fan. So like, that's when I got like more into it. What am I talking to you for? <laughs> yeah, seriously. But uh, I've like, so I've watched a lot of the old Scooby-Doo stuff and like, I've seen like at least some of every iteration of the TV show. Like I really liked mystery incorporated mm-hmm. and like, so like I know the archetypes, but I don't know like the lore as much, but There's I certainly, much. Like, is there lore? There is, no, but, but I, not I much. Mean, yeah. But I okay. mean, like, I don't, I couldn't tell you like what years the 13 ghosts of Scooby-Doo were on or like which time Don Knotts was there. <laughs> but like, I have, you know, like I have an idea, like, overarching idea. Yeah. This sounds uh, like craziness to me. All yeah, I know I'm is like... Harlem Globetrotters. That's my lore. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I kind of was the same where I saw some episodes as a kid, but I didn't have a sibling that loved Scooby Doo, so I it, I really just saw some episodes as a kid, and I mm-hmm. had the Super Nintendo Scooby Doo game. I have that oh. too, which I was it was really hard as a kid. It was really <laughs> fucking hard. Dude, I tried playing it like a few months ago, and it's still hard because like yeah. uh, the internet didn't exist back then, so there's not yeah. like strategy guides, you know. Scooby Doo is uh, also for adults, guys. Nick yeah. still is not an adult. Me, keep telling me that. <laughs> I had a uh, Scooby-Doo and the Cyber Chasers for Game Boy Advance. Ooh, and, another good one. Uh, 
uh, some GameCube game. There's a cemetery on the cover. Night but, of a Hundred Frights. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> this comic is nothing like that because this is like a like a reboot, right? Because yeah, none it's of these a great characters reboot. know each other and they meet up in this comic, so it kind of gives you like everyone's background and how they formed the, I don't even yeah, know what they're so called, the game. Yeah, so this is very much... <laughs> Mystery Incorporated. Uh. <laughs> so this is very much like the Flintstones where it's like not anything to do with any of the previous mm-hmm. continuity and it's like this whole, it's this new world that is very clearly not the same world mm-hmm. from Scooby-Doo. So Nick, now I just want to ask you because you on your other show, Limited Cell, mm-hmm. talk about Hanna-Barbera cartoons. So have you... Did you come to Scooby-Doo later, or have you always been a huge Scooby-Doo guy? It's always been Scooby-Doo, and um, it's it's harbored some hatred in my brother. He hates Scooby-Doo because <laughs> uh, when I was like, I don't know, eight or nine or something, we'd be home uh, during summer break, and I'd always turn on Scooby-Doo, and he said he'd just hear like the bat squealing in the theme song and just like have to leave the room because he was so sick of it. Wow. So, um, it's, it's been lifelong a, love. Yeah. <laughs> one of my earliest memories is like sitting down after like preschool one day and watching Scooby-Doo. And I remember it was the, the episode with the 10,000 volt ghost. One of my earliest memories. So it's, it's deeply wow. ingrained. <laughs> I wasn't joking about it consuming my personality. So I don't know if he's actually going to be a replacement Sly, because as Sly said to me the other day, Hanna-Barbera fucking hated Scooby-Doo, and Scooby-Doo is shit. <laughs> um, I was there, I can't confirm this, because Sly was talking about how Scooby-Doo was so successful at Hanna-Barbera, they had to keep like pivoting the entire company around Oh, it. I don't disagree. Um, there's, been, there's been a thousand, and actually, um, one of the DC meets Hanna-Barbera had... Uh, the Funky Phantom, which was like a, a carbon copy of this. There was mm-hmm. even like Josie and the Pussycats. He mentioned the shark. He mentioned the shark. Jabberjaw. One? Jabberjaw. Jabberjaw. He's like Jabberjaw was supposed to be like Scooby Doo. Yeah. Yeah. They've done like twenty, and I'm not exaggerating. There's a list someone shared with me on Facebook of all of the Hanna Barbera uh, carbon copies of Scooby Doo. So, mm. but Scooby Doo is the best. <laughs> now, do you know any of the like how Scooby Doo's history in comic books at all? I don't actually. Um, I know that they were with, uh, with like a lot of the Hanna Barbera properties. They had like a short series through Golden Key. Yeah. Um, maybe like forty or fifty of those. But like they've have like as I'm not super familiar. So like I, from what I've seen, they've always been like kids books mm-hmm. until this, right? Yeah, they always have. I think maybe the closest they've gotten to like an actual comic book is the team ups that they do. Where they've mm. brought in like Batman and stuff, but it's still like, um, still it's still like Adam West Batman. Yes, like, exactly. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm. So, this so, is not your daddy's Scooby Doo. Yeah, <laughs> not your daddy's Scooby Doo. Yeah. So the one thing that I wanna the little lore that I wanna give real quick is on the creative team, because when DC announced that they were gonna do these Hanna Barbera books, a lot of them were like the Flintstones book was Mark Russell who was like pretty much an unknown at the time, like, and there mm. was a lot of like there wasn't any creative teams that really really like grabbed me but this is written by keith giffen and jmd mateus who wrote my favorite comic book of all time and that which is just league international and they 
are a team that has kind of never been like an A-list team, but they have like a lot of cult status. So mm-hmm. like I was very excited to see them on this book. And they're, and I'm sure that you guys are going to bring it up a lot, they're a very dialogue-heavy team that really? uh, oh, uses oh, lots and lots and lots of quips. <laughs> <laughs> they hide it really well. <laughs> yeah, in the in the giant word bubbles that cover half the page. <laughs> take up the whole panel. <laughs> yeah. The way that a lot of their work is is Keith Giffen does all the plots and Demetrius does all the dialogue. And what they do is they're usually they usually write more character-driven books that are less plot-heavy and more just like the a bunch of characters coming together and like exploring their interpersonal relationships. Mm-hmm. I will say this is not my this is I don't think this is the best example of Giffen Dimatteis' strengths, mm-hmm. but that you get an idea for their style that it's very wordy, but a lot of like characters talking about how they feel about stuff. I <laughs> thought it was a lot uh, bizarre, bizarre, but like in an interesting way that there was a plotter and a dialogue writer for this. Yeah. I was trying to think. It's like have we covered anything else that's been like that? I don't think so. Yeah, I don't think we have. Yeah, it was very hmm. unique. It's it's one of those things, again, I can't tell you who's responsible for what really here yeah. other than maybe the dialogue I've been. And that's one thing. Giff and Dimatteis work together so frequently, and most of their works are so entwined that, like, what's interesting is even though Dimatteis does the dialogue, when he's on his own, he's usually a lot more, like, philosophical than mm-hmm. quippy. So, like, I think it's them together that they bring out the, like, comedy side of the mm-hmm. two of them and uh the only other thing i want to mention is howard porter does most of the art there's a little bit from dale eaglesham and wellington alves and scott Hanna, but the vast majority is howard porter and howard porter is somebody whose style is very weird but he was part of the grant morrison justice league relaunch in the 90s that like brought dc back from like the brink of nobody giving a shit about them and he's done a lot of big like big team books and seeing him put on Scooby-Doo was when they first announced it, I was like, this is a very interesting and like ambitious <laughs> choice for the yeah. team. Cause I expected it to be like nobody's and it's like, no, these are like big DC people <laughs> was, yeah. was um real quick was afterlife with Archie. Was that before this? I was going to say, if you're like, we're doing apocalyptic Scooby-Doo and anti-cap Flintstones and like afterlife, <laughs> like, if Afterlife with Archie came out before this, then I'd be like, okay, this can work. You can take an established, like, kind of campy franchise and try Afterlife and... with Archie was about three years earlier. Okay. All right. Because I was like, that's an interesting choice, but it's like, I think it's worth a shot after seeing the success of Afterlife with Archie. And mm-hmm. one thing uh, that, uh, same thing with, like, with Afterlife with Archie, a lot of these kind of spinoff books, one of the problems that we see with them, like, these, like, not mainstream, like, DC books... But, like, we'll see a lot of, when you put creative teams on them, it'll kind of be their side gig. And because of that, you'll have lots and lots of delays. And, like, for example, Volume 2 of Afterlife with Archie has not come out yet. And Volume 1 came out, you know, the book started (laughs) six years ago. Whereas Scooby Apocalypse just released, you know, its 36th issue Mm -hmm. to end the book. Like, that was, like, you know, it was an actual ongoing that DC, like, stuck with for years. Mm -hmm. Which is, like, kind of unexpected. And I don't, I could be wrong here because I was just reading uh, comments on the subreddit, but I don't even think that it was necessarily canceled. It's just that they kind of ran out of ideas. Yeah, I think they told their like whole story that they yeah. wanted to tell. But I'm trade waiting, so I haven't read the end, so I don't know. Yeah. But that's what I've heard. <laughs> yeah. 
So, Nick, you read all of this? I have not read all of it. Uh, don't hurt me. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I, I've read the first maybe three volumes probably five times just to get caught up to new issues coming out, and then I would forget mm. about them for forever. Mm. And that's where I'm at right now. Um, and the Is first there one volume, more volume coming out? Like, you only have, like, eight issues left to read? Um, I have a few. Um, <laughs> uh, I don't. He doesn't want to admit it. Yeah, I have. I won't say. I like mean, I'm not. Ju- I'm not judging you for that. <laughs> yeah, no. I. I you claim I'll, you're a Scooby Doo fan. How dare I know. you? I know. I just don't have time. I'm too busy talking about it on my other podcast uh, <laughs> and watching it. Um, but this, the first volume is is a little. I'm gonna jump ahead. It's a little hard to get through. So every time I'm like, I don't know. I'm. I feel like I'm getting stuck in the mud before it finally picks up. So mm. eventually I'm just like worn out and I, I have to give myself a break. Mm. That was one thing rereading it and we'll get into it in a second, but rereading it, I was, cause I really like this book mm-hmm. rereading. It, I was like, wow, the first trade doesn't really have a whole lot happen in it. Does it? Right. <laughs> no, right, exactly. No, it doesn't. <laughs> <laughs> but, but somehow it feels like it goes on forever. And yet, <laughs> I, in the end, you're like, okay. <laughs> I think that can all be attributed to Daphne's character in this, this whole, whole six issues. Potentially. But. Now is as good a time as any to start getting into it. So we will be covering the first six issues. And the book opens with issue one, Paris, one year ago. And it's Velma spreading some weird green stuff all over Paris, saying, basically looking down. It looks like like green, like, hatch marked circles. It's, like, technological. It's not just, like, you know, she's dribbling green stuff on (laughs) Paris. It looks like the picture of the Black Star, but green. I don't know what you're talking about. <laughs> or not the black star, the black hole. Oh my god, I'm an idiot. The picture, oh, of, the the black picture hole, of the black hole, but okay. green. Uh, yeah, it's just, yeah, it's a circle. <laughs> so, and she, like, like Rorschach in Watchmen opens it by looking down at the people, calling them scum and idiots. Mm-hmm. And she, it, we're in this, like, weird festival. It's that, Burning Man. Yeah. It's like a fake version of Burning Man. Yeah, mm-hmm. but it's like, so it, it's, that's the... Framing device from a year ago. Now yeah, just it, it is. It's really weird. It's not just like Burning Man. You got like people with like these crazy technological. Because this is kind of like in the future, so they got these like glowing orb plants around. You got like two yeah. statue babies hugging. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's it's Burning Man, but like set like like Daryl said, Howard Porter does a lot of like sci-fi looking designs. Mm-hmm. A lot of his work is set like in the future, kind of you know framing stuff that looks just very lots of bright shades and cubes and statues. Mm-hmm. And I like weird. it. I, I, I like Howard Porter's yeah, art a lot. Hi- Hi-Fi's color in particular, they're the yes. colors, oh, yeah. is, is really good. That was one of the most striking things to me reading this, is that the colors are very bright in this. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, the subject material in this book, it gets dark at times, like, really dark, but it mm-hmm. continues to keep, like, all the main cast of Scooby-Doo, like, all of their clothes are still very bright mm-hmm. and, like, their colors. Mm-hmm. You don't get yeah. any kind of muted colors even when they're, like, in a dark area. 
Yeah. Yeah. And we meet the first two members of Mystery Incorporated, Daphne and Fred, where Daphne uh, it's is... It's not Mystery Incorporated anymore. It's just yeah. these two guys hanging these out. These two yeah. guys. <laughs> and there's a lot of this is doled out, like, slowly over time. But, like, the, the general premise of Daphne is she was a reporter for the Washington Post, but felt like fake news, mainstream news, whatever, <laughs> was not doing enough hard-hitting journalism. She wanted to go into more, like, the gritty underworld and ended up with a, like, public access show where she tries to solve like unsolved mysteries and mysterious mysteries yes mysterious mysteries and fred is her always pining after her cameraman Mm -hmm. they met in like what was it college college. yeah Yeah. there he wanted to be a film guy too but he wanted to do like hollywood schlock and she was like i want to do exposés and he's like all right i guess i'll follow you to do that Yeah. yeah and she used to be a very popular reporter and now she's basically like a complete like has been on yeah. some like random show at four o'clock in the morning on the knitting channel yes on the, on the she's washed channel. up and she's here because she got a tip from uh an informant from anonymous about, yeah a, bi- a, a whistleblower mm-hmm. yes yeah. a whistleblower and we at the same festival which is like nearby this complex that this guy and his dog work at we have shaggy <laughs> and scooby it's not his dog is the thing <laughs> it's yeah it's so so Shaggy is walking this dog who's uh-huh. Scooby and he looks like Scooby-Doo and the they're from this complex where it's like a high tech private government contracted uh, like, you know, super sci-fi place. Mm-hmm. And Scooby is one of the dogs that was experimented on. And that's why he can talk. But in his broken Scooby-Doo language uh-huh. and Shaggy uh-huh. is right. yeah. <laughs> and Shaggy is the dog trainer there. And he wanted to give Scoob a night out, so they're like touring. He snuck him out so they could tour Burning Man. He also, because he's a he's like this prototype, like smart dog. But he he was the first one, so he's that's why he speaks like that. Mm-hmm. But he, in, he like in the first few ish, the first few panels, he puts on these glasses onto Scooby. <laughs> Emoto goggles. And, yeah, and you. <laughs> As Scooby feels things, uh, you get, like, thumbs up and, like, smiling emojis or, like, pizza emojis. Fries, ice cream, yeah. Yeah. And, like, as you can expect from any Shaggy Scooby story, they're very hungry Mm -hmm. and they're looking for things to eat. And then we cut into the complex where we meet Velma, who is uh, one of the scientists there. And they're... She's... She seems to be a head honcho, right? Yeah, she's a head honcho, and there's a security guard going like, you know, Shaggy's always, uh, you know, sneaking out. We need to send a team, and she's like, we that'll just draw attention to us. They'll come back. Just don't worry about it. Let them, you know, go yeah, out there. Yeah, and we'll fire him later. <laughs> yeah, and we'll fire him later, <laughs> yeah. yeah. So then the, the whistleblower that they, so it cuts back to friend Daphne, and the whistleblower that they're waiting for is Velma. Fred f- gets scared and throws the camera Velma, at Velma face. comes out like a rock opens up. It's like a secret hatch. Mm-hmm. And Velma comes out and Fred gets scared and he shouts, Mole people! And he chucks <laughs> his camera at her and it knocks her out. For they also bit. do some, like, stu- like when, when stuff doesn't make sense, they, the comic will reference it. Like, Velma's monologuing in the secret facility. Like, I have to be a whistleblower to save the world. And then she's like, why am I saying this in a facility that has, like, cameras everywhere? <laughs> yep. And they just yeah. they move on. They're like, it's okay. She has yeah. the monologue. Yeah, and you know they they Daphne when Daphne's like making fun of Fred for the mole people, and it's like pretty clear that her show is basically Scooby Doo, where like they find paranormal things, and it's always just like some scam. And well, here's what I was trying. I've I've been trying to look this up for a really long time because in Scooby Doo on Zombie Island, which was um, one of the <laughs> he is slides doing the deep lore dive. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, I was trying to figure out because in that movie. Um, 
she has a TV show where she goes around with Fred across the country to to find she's trying to find real haunted places and I can't remember the name of it and I thought it was something like Mysterious Mysteries but I don't think it is I think it's something coast to coast This was a live action movie or, or This was an animated movie in let me get the I think it was 1998 <laughs> um yeah 1998 it was part of four movies that they came out with after like a huge lull and not having any Scooby Doo they came out with Zombie Island and it was the first time they had a movie with real monsters um and i then, remember this yeah. yeah and then there was um the witch's curse and uh cyber cyber boys, chasers cyber chase and i remember that <laughs> uh space invaders i think i almost remember it too because it was the yeah it was the first time that they were using real monsters which was mm-hmm. like a oh that's kind of surprising yeah and then like space invaders there's real aliens and stuff like yeah. that, real mm-hmm. witches so um this was i believe this was the first one in that run and this, it, I mean, it was kind of gritty. It was um, so there is close some precedent this. for Daphne and Fred to having a TV show. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Cool. So Nick, when you were reading this, do you remember the first time you were reading this? Were you like, "Oh, this is great to see all these characters like this," or were you like, "This doesn't seem like because Velma to me seemed like a character that was." I mean, again, I'm I don't have a lot of Scooby Doo lore, <laughs> but she's like. She's a very antisocial to the point where it's like it's a problem that she can't communicate mm-hmm. or interact with people in a normal yeah. way and she doesn't have like any friends. And she even has like she's kind of like the black sheep almost of the group, even though like all of them together don't know each other that well. Other than you know, Shaggy, Scooby, Daphne, Fred. But Velma's mm-hmm. always seems to be like kind of the odd one out here. Yeah. So I think that that I, I, I really liked originally. I like how they they pair these together. Um, because they kind of took that that idea of having a TV show and made it work for this, and also gave a quick origin story of how these people came together. I also like that they gave Daphne a purpose, because in the TV show she never really had a shtick. Like Fred, she's danger prone, yeah. Daphne. She's there to get captured. And that that wasn't even really in the TV show that much. Uh, that was more of like later on they decided mm. she needed a quirk. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but like Fred was kind of brainy, but he also set the traps, and Velma was the brainy one. Um, Shaggy and Scoob were Shaggy and Scoob and Daphne didn't really have a thing and so this she she's aggressive and she's uh, curious so she, they gave her an actual trait so I think that they mm. made these people real people yeah if anything for like people that don't know what happens with this comic Daphne is 100% kind of like the leader of the group mm-hmm. and she's the one that interacts with people I would say like almost the most yeah she's yeah. um the, I feel like she's the focal point for the most part. Yeah, like she takes a lot of the the screen oh, time. Oh, it's both like her and Velma. Her and Velma honestly, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say that the two of them. It, it switches between their perspectives a lot. Mm-hmm. Shaggy and Scooby are kind of just like doing their own thing half the time, mm-hmm. and yeah. then Fred is just useless. Yeah, it's, it's a it, it's an interesting shift of dynamics because usually it's Daphne and Fred paired up, and then yeah. uh, Velma's off on her own, and now it's mostly like Daphne and Velma, and then Fred's always getting into danger and stuff. Mm-hmm. But to to your point, I, I like that they took that very small detail from the shows where Velma is kind of the outcast, but not explicitly so, and kind of made it feel like a real person. 
Mm. Just going back to mm. that. Like she she is totally the outcast in this. Yeah, because yeah. So. we've talked on the divisive issues before about sometimes having a character like Sly will get angry. Like if you take one character's like an event or something that's bad about them, like say they were an alcoholic for a bit of time and mm-hmm. then when you do a reboot and then that's the main focus of it, I didn't yeah. know whether or not that would be something you would have appreciated. Yeah. Um I think sort of. I there's a fine line. I think they hit it decently enough. Mm-hmm. Um, cause in the cartoons, they aren't really, they don't have a lot of traits. So yeah. <laughs> yeah. giving them anything w- was better than they were in the cartoons. <laughs> yeah. Fair. So at, at this point we see Shaggy and Scooby eating and well, then when, the, yeah, trying to eat some like vegan, no tomato. I thought tomatoes were vegan. <laughs> yeah. That's, they, they do a lot of jokes at the expense of hippies in this mm-hmm. and hipsters, yeah. like at, throughout the all six issues. And it's almost, like, too much for me, where I'm like, <laughs> yes, we get it. Like, yeah, hit fucking hippies. <laughs> yeah, this pizza's made out of tofu cheese, no tomato sauce, and uh, rice crust. Yeah, completely <laughs> gluten-free. And Shaggy's like, but that's not pizza! <laughs> I don't know what it is! That's a... Man, that was a really good impression. You could be the next Casey Kasem. <laughs> so, they never get to eat it, because when Velma gets knocked out by Fred, because, uh... Scooby has that like eye goggle thing. It sinks to Velma's, you know, her special high tech glasses, and he views he's viewing Fred and Daphne as a threat, and he runs after to go like save her. Mm-hmm. And Shaggy follows, has a lot of Scooby Doo, where are you? Yelling. Yeah, they have to do that. They only do it twice in this whole, in all of these six issues. So I was yeah. kind of happy that they didn't milk that. There's <laughs> yeah. an Easter egg on this page. You see that? What uh, What is it? Um the the person serving pizza has a Watchman pin. Oh, is that mm. right? Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I guess also, I think so. at the beginning there's a dog that's supposed to be Dynamut. I don't know yes. if you guys know who Dynamut <laughs> yes, is. Yes, I did notice that. Okay. Oh, my anyway, God. Anyway, keep going. <laughs> so then, so this is when, so at this point, I, one thing that I do really like about it is the team gets together very quickly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and now they're all together, and Velma is the whistleblower that they were meeting with, and she brings them into this, con- into this complex, and... She basically exposits the whole thing that the these There's four... so much fucking dialogue. <laughs> yeah, of course, like two pages, all I see is white. Yes. There's a lot of exposition. So, and she's like, and then we were doing this for this, and my secret, our secret plan was this secret government facility, and we were going to spread nanites around the world, and we're going to and then reduce Daph- the bad traits of humans. And then and... Daphne will always cut in and be like, so you were the evil person. And then yeah. Velma's like, like, no, I wasn't. And then she has to start yeah. all over again. They literally <laughs> spend like three issues of Daphne starting every issue saying, Velma, this is all your fault. And three? she's like, it wasn't me. Three? Yeah. It's six. It's the entire <laughs> yeah. volume that's it, been out. Yeah, I was going to say, the one thing I wanted to compliment is at least when you're getting an exposition dump by Velma, which is, which is definitely pretty heavy, mm-hmm. it does have other people cutting in a lot, which is nice because then it yes. establishes relationship between them. Yeah. Where that's like, what okay. I mean about the Giffen DiMatteo style is like this is a it's not a uh, perfect to read example but it's a good example of how you're immediately establishing character dynamics mm-hmm. even during exposition yeah I, mm-hmm. like I didn't feel like a character even though Fred is mostly useless he's like he's useless in a charming way he still participates <laughs> yeah. he still asks like yeah. what exactly were you doing here doc what is the point of this but it's we'll I'll get into the the Velma and Daphne stuff later it is but really ba- it basically Velma exposits that she was part of a secret project that this this was supposed to be a, a government facility that trains like dogs for the military but really there was That's a secret project going on under it uh, they wanted to release nanites around the world and then use those nanites to take away people's greed and violence and bad traits and make them more um, peaceful but Velma found out that they were actually trying to reduce 
any kind of aggressive traits to the point where people would become like docile and passive so that they could be ruled yep. by this group of scientists. Called the Four. And yes. Yeah, and that's when she wanted to blow the whistle. Um, and she takes them into the safe zone to tell them all this, and they keep interrupting. And then an alarm goes off mid... Well, basically, once she's done. Mm-hmm. Uh, perfect timing. Perfect timing. The alarm goes off, and it seems like the nanites are already activated. But it's too early. What's going on? And then we just get this scene of, like, outside... There's like lizard men and werewolves and mummies. Like, yeah, yeah, monster movie type monsters, here. not just like regular. Yeah, or like I don't know what regular monsters would be. <laughs> yeah. Monster movie monsters. Yeah. So yeah, monster movie monsters. And then the issue does end with just a backup of when Shaggy first got hired. He was, you know, all the other dogs were much more advanced and were like picking on Scooby Doo, and Shaggy like jumped in and he has like a very high like level of empathy and like he can re- he's like basically like he has like high it's animal control. Dog he, has, empathy, he, ha- he says say. I have high canine IQ. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But it basically, it shows that Shaggy was just, like, this, like, kind of hipstery, like, dumb idiot who couldn't hold jobs anywhere else. Like, there's some quick cuts of him, like, working at, like, McDonald's or whatever. Mm. And, but he, you know, always related more to animals. So he's, he, like, goes in and protects Scooby-Doo. And that's how they, be like, become friends. Mm-hmm. And issue two is pretty much just well, we get them. The, I want to back up, sorry, just real sure. fast. We get the, the first peek at Scrappy-Doo. Oh, oh no, no. I, I feel like we get a peek, but it, the, the reveal later on is so much better for the for that. <laughs> yes. oh, yeah. yeah, he's in there, though, with some other vicious yep. looking yeah. dogs. He's one of the other dogs, the tiny one. Yeah. Oh, so and, keep going. Yeah. So issue two is that not a whole lot happens. Basically, just the gang as they're escaping, they see one uh like one of the lower level scientists and they go to talk to him. And he's like a complete like horrible monster that attacks like two them. Two sets of teeth. Yeah, and Velma immediately runs away, and then when they meet up again, Daphne's very upset that she's like, you, you know, you brought us into this, and then you just abandoned us, and mm-hmm. she's just like, I'm really scared, but obviously Daphne and Velma don't trust each other, and they see, like, on the security cameras that these monsters have just basically killed, like, everybody, they're killing each other. So, so it looks like people. most, the majority of people have turned into monster movie monsters, but, like... Some percentage of the population didn't mm-hmm. get turned, like and they're getting massacred b- yeah. by the monsters and eaten. And they do a lot of the like when when Velma's running, she yells "jinkies," uh, you know, Shaggy <laughs> yells "zoinks," <laughs> yeah, Daphne yells "jeepers," and and like yeah. Phil said that they point at it. Like Daphne's like, "What what what does jinkies? What does that mean?" Like when you say that, was that? <laughs> and then someone else like laughs at Shaggy going "zoinks." Yeah. yeah. And, and this this comic has a really weird cuz when we're talking about them like eating people and stuff, it it straddles a really weird line between like the really like gross stuff mm-hmm. but also like presenting it in a non offensive, non like really disgusting way. It looks kind of like B horror movie to me. Yeah. And that's I mean that's what they're trying to go for with the yeah. monsters. It's like green blood and ropey intestines i mean it's still like it's still like it's horrifying but it's only like because of the colors and because of the Mm. the fact that that porter draws like blood but he doesn't draw viscera or guts or intestines and stuff yeah this it looks like it's still like fine like you could imagine like maybe like a 10 year old reading this but not being you know mortified by it even though there's some serious like there's people are just blown apart and being eaten alive in this comic yeah so in that in that 
realm of the like weird tone that it walks is at this point someone named Becky who's just like some of the one of the people who work there was she's now turned into a monster and she's fully speaking mm-hmm. and she talks to them and like even remembers Shaggy and they all have these like assault weapons and while she's her and Scooby are fighting you know the monster Becky the monster Daphne like blows Becky his with head the apart yeah yeah Becky with the hair Daphne blows his, blows her head apart and she's uh, you know, Shaggy's like, you know, that was a human being that you killed. And Daphne's like, no, it was a monster. And then she starts crying and she's like, it was a human being. And I blew her apart. But like, what the hell else was I supposed to do? And then she punches and like Velma. This... Yeah. And then and she, she just yeah. sucks. Well, Velma she said that she was going to punch Velma before, which is like, a... oh, <laughs> yeah. 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 But the thing that I, I find really interesting about this, and this does continue throughout the series after this, is they even though like they're still setting up that like they're all monsters it still does have a lot of human moments where it's like they have to deal with the trauma that they're going through mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. it's not just like they're monsters now we could kill them all or like they're humans we can't kill them they're like it's necessary for us to kill them but like we still have to deal with what that means mm-hmm. yeah especially because they don't know if there's a way to reverse it because if, yeah. if, if they were stuck permanently they might feel differently but velma seems to hint at the fact that this might be reversible so if they're killing people, they're not saving those people. Yeah. yeah. And then they escape through a vent to get away from the monsters, and they find the uh, very secretive tank experiment that they had that they call the it's mystery like a Humvee. Machine. Yeah, yeah. A, a scientist was working on this super yeah. it's, secret. It's, Shaggy says, it's his mystery machine. <laughs> Well, is Casey Casey back from the dead? (laughs) (laughs) They find the scientist's body, and he wasn't monsterfied. Mm -hmm. But he had a pacemaker. Yeah, Shaggy mentions that he was just got back from sick leave where they put in a pacemaker. And Velma's like, oh, that's interesting. Let's... Posture for, for let's uh, postulate further on this, and but they're interrupted by a bunch of monsters showing up, and uh, that's how the issue ends. Is they're cornered in front of the mystery machine. I want to point out that at this point they think that this monster outbreak is confined to the the complex because this isn't what was supposed to happen with the nanites. The the nanites were supposed to make people docile and stuff, but. Mm-hmm. But we've seen as the audience that yes. Burning Man is also yeah. affected. Uh, issue three, Terror Incognita, starts with <laughs> the Mystery Machine now. It's obviously in the, a little bit in the future. There's blood and guts all over this thing. There, there's They've been vomiting this whole time, running over monsters. Mm-hmm. Um, and somehow Fred is injured. Uh, Scooby-Doo is watching over injured Fred. And we get, like we were saying before... Every issue basically opens with Daphne being like, your goddamn nanites did this, you bitch. For... And then uh, Velma's like, it wasn't me. I was trying to save the world. Yeah. I was trying to do like, a good thing. Velma's, no one could have predicted this. And then Daphne goes, you could have. You and those mad scientists at the complex, you spread your damn nanites across the planet, and this insanity is the result. And then and she calls her Hitler a yeah. few times. I don't, I don't think I'd have such a problem with this if it didn't happen like three times an yeah. issue. Here's the thing is I think there's better ways to handle this for sure. But one of the things that I like what they're going for is that they Daphne repeatedly says to her, like throughout the whole book, you haven't told us the whole story Mm -hmm. at all. Mm -hmm. And like it's by the end of the first trade, it is very clear that Velma has not. Oh, yeah. And like the she repeatedly is really, really secretive about it. And like, I understand that Daphne as like the leader who's like the more the only really assertive character. I understand why she's like. You have to tell us, but I think it's because they're like always on the run that they never actually have a confrontation about yeah. it. Yeah, it's just like a lot of like just sniping at her, which does. I understand what they're going for, but it does like it's a bit of a slog to. The, read. the problem is they have to do it because f- for some reason 
having a text blurb in the very beginning is enough. A lot of it's <laughs> yeah, recapping. No. So she has to say, you were one of the scientists. This was your fault. And then she has to say, I didn't plan for this specifically to happen. Mm-hmm. And it's like yeah. every issue starts the same way where it's like by having Daphne yell at Velma, they establish all the plot points of how they got here and everything. But it's it makes it seem so... Both well, nothing gets done. Repeated and yeah. ant- antagonistic. So, yeah. like, I I go into my personal life a little bit. I've been reading a lot of Spider-Man, like old Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And the way that they do it in that is Peter Parker will be like, man, I just can't get Mary Jane out of my mind after the fight we had. And that's the, all that they say about it. But in like this, a narration box. Yeah. And then in this, we spend what two pages two well there's one i think it was the next issue i counted it was like six pages that was like none of these need to be here to do this nothing gets done things i not only are dimateus and giffen they still kind of write in that like early 80s style where they were having overarching plots without necessarily like you know with with a lot of recap kind of stuff in it but i also wonder if there's a part of it that was pushed because this was like the beginning Mm -hmm. of a new like universe they were creating this Hanna-Barbera universe that like didn't like it wasn't like the first issue was like this huge success and everybody was talking about it I wonder if DC pushed them to do more of people will be grabbing issues three or four to see what's going on but that doesn't mean that there's not like way less clumsy ways to do Mm -hmm. it but I just wonder because it was like the sleeper hit I wonder if that was pushed on a little bit as I was reading this again for like the fourth or fifth time I was like (laughs) If if that were the case, we're in a digital world now where in the 80s you need that kind of recap. In this, if I'm like, I don't know what's going on, let me just go back and go to my app and buy another one for two bucks because my local comic book doesn't yeah. have the that's, backlog. That's very fair. But for some reason, DC as a company has been very, very slow to like do that kind of thing. Like They refuse Man. to do a recap page this, where Marvel this is has painful. done... Yeah. Having read like so so much of this, I feel like you're just thinking about it in, in two way of like a, a, a smarter forward thinking fashion mm-hmm. rather than yeah. like how bogged down comics are and this kind yeah. of stuff. Yeah. But even then, like this is issue three <laughs> of like a brand new story. Like there's not that much to recap. Exactly. You don't have to spend four yeah. pages. And they spend it's, so it's much pretty time. frustrating. They spend yeah, more time than we've talked about them doing it than we've done <laughs> yeah. doing it. But anyway, sorry. So we go back to recap to see how Fred got hurt after they yell at each other. Uh, we see that they escaped with the mystery machine. It's like an action sequence. Again, more hippie making fun of where Shaggy's <laughs> like, I was, I'm was, i a Buddhist. Well, at least I was for six months in high school. And the Buddha says we should have compassion. Not in love and with that. They shoot, the, they shoot the zombies and stuff. Um, I kind of like and, these flashbacks and, they do here and there. Where they start the... They, they did this like another issue or two down the line where they start off in media res and just like flashback yeah. for a couple mm-hmm. pages. Kind of like that. And we get later, we see Fred's okay and they go and they see the rest of the world is, is actually hit. Or at least they don't know the rest of the world. They know that at least the nearby city and the... The Raging Man. Man Festival. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Got got hit by the nanites. Also, one thing to defend while why Daphne keeps assaulting Velma about it. Every time something happens, Velma goes, "What have I done?" Yeah. <laughs> so obviously, it's her fault. Well, also, Fred got really badly hurt in the escape, and you know she thinks like if he dies, it's because of you. Yeah. Well, yeah. She, Daph- the other thing that makes Daphne kind of unbearable, at least mm-hmm. in these six issues, is that she is. I don't even want to say bipolar because this isn't like bipolar, but she'll immediately like punch Velma and be like, "Oh my gosh, I'm so sorry, but this is your fault." It, it's it's like border personality, borderline yeah. personality disorder. That's a much and better this, descriptor. You actually you hit on a thing because I 
really was struggling with Daphne because usually I'm like I'm fine with characters that are too like brash for their own good and are mm-hmm. very like unper- non-personable especially if they're women because it's like mm-hmm. it's cool to have a character that's like this but she was so she bounces back and forth between mm-hmm. being very like brash towards Fred towards Shaggy towards Velma and then and like cries. wanting to be offensive yeah. yeah and then being like I can't take this you know if I lost Fred I, I, I nothing would matter in, in between like calling him stupid I was like it's actually interesting because just like how they make Velma's actually specifically she has antisocial problems. Yeah, and she'll, she, she'll she's aware of it and talks story. about yeah. it. Yeah, that was like maybe that's a thing about Daphne is it isn't just like her being mean or an asshole all the time. Maybe she actually does have BPD maybe. and it just hasn't revealed it to us. I mean, I did. I read it as she's like terrified and is just like really acting out. And every time that's she starts too. to be personal with somebody, she covers it up by extra brashness. So like there'll be times where she has like a real like a real moment mm-hmm. with Velma where they start mm-hmm. to have a breakthrough and she flips out immediately. And I, I read it as a defense mechanism. Mm-hmm. And like, I actually really like Daphne's characterization but here. If it was a defense mechanism, I would like it a lot less because I'm like, this is just like, she's really annoying throughout this. <laughs> and so whereas like, if, if this was something she can control, I'd feel a lot more sympathy for her being mm-hmm. in this situation, just like how Velma can't communicate well to her friends mm-hmm. or, you know, quote unquote friends that she just met here because yeah. she doesn't have a lot of sociable skills. Yep. And a lot of this is just flashbacking this issue, just driving away, running over guys. They ru- they drive into a um, like gas station food mart type mm-hmm. place. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, it's literally they, called food mart. Yep. And <laughs> yeah. Definitely argue, and argue about the plague. Yeah. Some more. <laughs> I'm like, skip that. Mm-hmm. Skip that. They're getting supplies. And then at the end, we see someone peeking out of the employee you know in room and it's a vampire looking guy mm-hmm. so like a you know, morbius get them. <laughs> yeah very riveting uh so well, they load up on snacks and talk about twinkies and then yeah, morbius yeah, shows yeah. up <laughs> yeah exactly um so issue four we start out actually with a the narrator is actually one of the characters as opposed to the just like them talking mm-hmm. And I think it's Velma, right? Yeah. yeah. yeah One thing is. I like yeah. is whenever somebody's narrating their bubbles, at least I think the narration yes. boxes are in the color it of their is. outfits. They, they yeah. usually are, except yeah. for one, which was really confusing where Velma was purple. And I didn't understand why. That's oh. probably um, just a coloring error. Maybe yeah. that's in that's in the exposition dump issue of her mm. backstory. But Oh, yeah, you're right. She is purple there. Yeah. May- yeah, that must just be an error because everywhere else it's pretty mm-hmm. clear. Yeah. yeah. Um, so we open up again with Velma and Daphne, mm-hmm. uh, except this time Daphne also found a cool sci-fi laser rifle or something. Yeah, the the van is decked out with futuristic weapons and yeah, yeah. And we see the vampire looking at Daphne, saying, "Oh, tasty snack, uh, drink her blood." And we see that unlike some of the other monsters, which were just like either talking like normal, like kind of evil normal people, mm-hmm. or just moaning or whatever. Uh, the vampire is talking like a vampire, where he's like, "Rise, we will, you know, tear her flesh, drink- pierce her veins, yeah. drink her blood, make her yeah. one of us." Mm-hmm. Yep. So they have another action scene. Scooby also something we should mention is he uh, in the flashbacks was very docile and getting beaten up by the other dogs all the time. Mm-hmm. But in in this new fucked up world, he does jump into action every time they're about to get uh, pounced. Which Scooby. Is- like yeah, just jumps on that. It's very counterintuitive to his character in the show, but I, th- 
yeah, and they look at like um, Daphne even says that she believes that fear is a great motivator, and that's what's yeah. pushing Scooby to do this. Because normally he would be docile, but when it comes to like protecting people, he cares yeah, about. that's the big thing. Is every time someone's in danger, he like jumps in. Yeah, yeah. and that's like I, I like that change because I feel like the whole like would you do it for a Scooby snack? Maybe wouldn't work super well <laughs> no, in this really. kind of world. Well, I, in later issues. Like beyond these, I I kind of feel like it's something to do with the servos. Like when we get to Scrappy and stuff, all the mm, augmentation. I, I kind of read it uh, like that. Things kind of mm. changed after the the cataclysm. They experimented on them, or after oh after the cataclysm that changed everyone into monsters. Yeah, because when we get to oh. Scrappy, like his friends can't talk anymore, and Scrappy's changed a little bit. He's become like bloodthirsty. I think mm. that I kind of read it as Scooby has changed a little sense. bit in that regard, but that's. So they later. have this big vampire fight scene. Velma uses a drone. Velma uses them. a drone with like a controller. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so it looks like they're re- regenerating. Yeah, they blast and, them in half. Yeah, and they're like, it's weird that these are like actual classic literary vampires, and all of the other creatures we've seen have been like, you know, monster movie monsters. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And yeah. they're like, yeah, that's weird. Wish we could investigate, but we got to get out of here. So they drive away. And they argue <laughs> Again. so long. Yeah, they argue a lot. <laughs> well, the, we get a little bit of progress here because Daphne starts to say she left her, her research notes at the complex, but if she can get to like a laptop, then she can oh, yeah. um, hack into the... Apparently, this was not the only secret government facility yeah. on this project. The secondary ones around the world. And she's like, if I can contact them... I can see if we can, if they've survived, if we can figure out a solution, you know, blah, blah, and blah. And Daphne, Daphne keeps saying, like, but they caused this. And she's like, yeah. like, And Velma's like, yeah, but, like, they might be the only ones to stop it, so we kind of, like, have to deal with it. Mm-hmm. And this is when, like, this is when it's, like, really clear that Daphne's like, you have to explain it all. And Velma's like, no. Yeah, yeah. but we get a taste of uh, that there definitely is something more than Velma's yeah. leading. Yeah. And we see now the outside world again. We have gargoyles and mummies and Hulk and ghosts. Yeah, this scene, I, I, I liked it a lot seeing it again for this time. There's like a mummy and, and flying ghosts and stuff. It's so Yeah, cool. it's like very monster movie. Mm-hmm. And the, the dogs, like Scrappy-Doo and the gang, are, are in the middle of this. And they're like, Scrappy's like, they don't attack us, which is good. Um, but none of the other dogs have their articulation implants anymore. They burned out, mm-hmm. like uh, Nick was saying. So Scrappy's the only one who can talk, and he's like, okay, we'll just follow along, and after these monsters kill each other, we'll eat them. And what we need to do is find Velma, because she is needs to be needs to upgrade our augmentations, because these are eventually going to yeah. you know, burn out. Yeah. I want to say here that Scrappy looks just so cute. He's got like this <laughs> little does. tooth sticking out from under his, his uh, <laughs> jowls or whatever. He's yeah. just so cute. He's pretty cute. Uh, and yeah, th- this is when he's like, watch your back, Scoobert. Scrappy-Doo is coming for you. And they argue more. They go They go into, they find like a, a mall mart to hide <laughs> yeah. out at and they go in. And it's hard to cover a lot of this because, again, you get a lot of the team building and like other people jumping in when they're discussing things. It's just like mm-hmm. these first like five issues really hammer home where it's like, Velma was working there, and then other people are like, but what were you really doing? And she's like, I didn't want to do, like, anything really bad. And they're like, is that really true? You're trying to change the world. And, like, it's a lot of back and forth that yeah. it's, like, we've already covered it two issues ago, and it's, it keeps happening as we're trying we to were, do we, we do learn that uh, Shaggy's parents 
uh, owned a grocery store that was driven out of town by big corporations like Walmart. And didn't we also yeah. learn something about? Oh, that was a way earlier about Daphne. We learned that her she grew her, up on an estate, and yeah, she had, yeah. she's the, been the only one to use firearms. And she's she her family fortune comes from uh, uh, bath bath soaps? bath soaps. Yep, that Shaggy <laughs> uses on dogs, and she's like, use it on dogs. <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, but when, inside the Walmart, they find this one guy who was not turned into a monster, and he's dead. Mm-hmm. And Velma's like, let she me go. She reaches inside. Yeah. yeah. And, and Daphne's like, are, are you desecrating that corpse? She's like, don't worry. And she pulls out a pacemaker. Mm-hmm. I mm-hmm. assume that's what that is. I've never seen a pacemaker. I don't know. I didn't know what that was, but I also assume I don't know that. what that is either. But, I mean, from context, I assume that's what it was. That That he had some sort of, like augmentation mm-hmm. which i guess is technically what a pacemaker is yeah. I, I didn't put that two and from... two together if she had said like you're reaching like into his chest or for his it, heart it might not be it might just be that he has metal in his body somewhere oh, oh yeah. Okay. Yeah, i think yeah, they're just trying it. to set stuff up yeah um, it looks like they go into ring, more detail but... about this later on yeah because i don't think that's what a pacemaker looks like yeah and then at the end they're like you know fred and shaggy and like you know what we're gonna make the best out of this world things are about to get better and we see Thousands of like gremlins outside about to attack them. them. Yeah, and that ends issue four. Yep, and issue five opens. Goddamn, this is are they arguing? I think. Yeah, I think this is the one where it was it was six (laughs) panels of them just recapping by arguing. Especially when Fred's like, "I've never touched a gun until a couple of days ago," and then they're like, "These things are coming in. They used to be humans, so we we should we be shooting them? Would that be okay?" Like Shaggy's bringing that up. Jackie's like, I was part of every gun control group out there. Now I'm shooting people. Yep. Yeah, I oh, skimmed so most nice. of this at this point. I was yep. like, I'm over it. <laughs> <laughs> and then they're running around. A lot of them like shooting people. And then they finally find Velma and they hide inside of a room and they barricade the door. Yeah, they go to this back warehouse of the of the mall mart. Yep. We do learn more about the monsters here because once they barricade the doors... They stop mm-hmm. and stop she scratching that, at the door trying to get in. Yeah, so these monsters don't have object permanence. So once you're like away from them, they like don't chase you. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. At least yeah, that's they're like your classic like yeah. Velma thinks they're kind of like like zombies that just they just move on instinct. Whatever they hear or see, they go for, and that's it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Unlike yeah. what we've seen, the vampires or the or Becky with the hair. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and so Fred goes to the back door with Scooby to barricade that door and he stumbles upon this little girl that is talking about how she was always afraid that there's things under the bed and she's got like glowing green eyes and pink skin so they're like oh oh yeah something's going on yeah I like the monsters this design, are real though. and then she like her head splits open and it's a giant like plant inside that starts attacking them yeah it's basically like somewhere between Resident Evil 4 and Last of Us <laughs> yeah <laughs> where the, 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 yeah, the exactly. big things come out but it's a plant um, and it sw- starts swallowing Fred. Uh, it's yeah. kind of a... I like this. It's like a whole page spread. I really like that. Yeah, the design. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, Porter, to me, like, this first trade Porter carries. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I like this art. Mm-hmm. And um, so, meanwhile, Velma and Scooby jump up on top of the, like, shelves to try and hide away from the monsters. This- yeah, because once Daphne shot the plant monster, now all the imp demon zombies they heard them yeah they also are running yeah and they're looking around for them and then you get like a whole bunch of like a couple pages where there's no no quiet place yeah and it's just them like trying to hide out and not be found 
And well, one of the things that we learn here is as soon as they the like demons realize that there's nobody there, they just start immediately fighting each yes. other. Yeah. Yeah. And then yeah, and they like rip the hell out of a bunch of each other and then they leave. We learn that Scooby can climb, okay? Because he's a smart dog. Uh-huh. Yep. So. He's a smart <laughs> yes. dog. Smart dog climbing. Character good. development. Yep, yep, yep. Yeah, <laughs> and then Daphne goes into like a back room, and this is when she's like having an argument with herself about how she starts, she keeps yelling at Velma, and then she's like, "What's wrong with me?" She's also scared and confused and doesn't know what she's doing, and she's like, "Maybe it's not about trust. Maybe I just need an outlet for my own fear and confusion." And then she she finds the laptop, and when she comes back to deliver it, she throws it at Velma's head. She chucks this, at her this is why I was like, "This isn't just like you know, I'm just like having like." I'm not adapting well. It's like she has problems if she's she like throwing problems. laptops at people's head right after she says, well, you know, maybe I just need an outlet for my own like fear and confusion. Her outlet is violence. I think that's pretty clear. <laughs> she's got issues. I do have a question, though. Is there some sort of like modern stigma against thought bubbles? Because all of this could have just been uh, in thought bubbles. Yes. Yeah, I've never. That's actually I, you don't see those in modern comics. That's something really. that I've seen a lot of writers talk about. Of I'll get a little bit aside real quick. Is like, uh, like a lot of modern writers complain about how like sometimes they're like literally not allowed to use thought bubbles hmm. because they're like viewed as like childish. But like outward narration is dumb when you're by yourself and yeah. sneaking yeah. around, and narrative bubbles kind of take you out of it because you assume that they're narrating it from the future yeah. usually like the way that like voiceover works which means that there's no stakes because they're not going to die mm-hmm. if they have time to narrate this later so like yeah that's something that like just for some reason modern comics like just won't let writers use thought bubbles and i think it's a detriment to the media. i think they mm-hmm. should have here where they daphne's talking to herself for her what i was I wondering agree. if four that, or five that was panels like, it was kind of like with velmo where she's talking to herself where it's like it's a way to keep up at least like some modicum of the camp element where you know Maybe. back in old comics you'd have superheroes always constantly talking to themselves and it's like why not use thought bubbles yeah and here it's like it's doing the same kind of thing where she's just talking to herself for yeah that's that's true too yep and so the last issue issue six is actually it's all told from the perspective of velma and it's basically a big backstory splurge it's that episode like when you get to the anime where once it starts with the flashback <laughs> you're gonna be in there the entire episode yeah it's like every other episode of my hero academia yeah. Yep. And this hey, is Hey, there's not that much of that. Yeah. <laughs> Compared <laughs> to a few. lot of other shows. Like Naruto has multiple episodes of those in a row. That's true. Yeah. Um, this is where Velma gives her backstory and this is you guys said like the purple text boxes might have been miscolored, but I don't think that's mis because this is on like every page. I think yeah. maybe it could have been a thing where they decided that orange, because it's a warm color, it would be too much for the eyes to read. A lot oh, of okay, these. that's fair. There is, there are these little orange lines in the backgrounds of all these panels that I are, I guess, supposed to tie her flashbacks back to her. Oh, I don't okay. know. Oh. I think you're onto something. No, that makes sense. Like the the background, like instead of the white page, uh, it's yeah. all black and orange. And also, it's because Velma's the only character in this whole issue. Mm-hmm. I never like, I was never confused on like who's talking. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 But but I do. I understand that, like, up to this point, it was color-coded, so that is weird. It's just something I didn't notice. Yeah. Yeah, and she basically, she gives, like, her whole backstory. She's like, hey, when I was born, I, like, I swear I could remember what it was like being born mm-hmm. and leaving the womb that, like, my Oh, par- she has mentioned earlier in the book that she has an eidetic memory. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so she's like, when I left the womb, basically, her, her mom's a very anxiety-riddled person, and her dad's just, like, he's just an asshole. He's like, she's fragile, she's a little runt, the world's gonna devour her. Well, it seems and, like he's just, like, sexist, basically. Because he says, just like you, to, the, to yeah. the wife. Yeah, and he's got four sons. 
um, um, yeah. who are fine. Like, he has no problem with them, so I don't know. Yeah, he's also a campaign manager for three congressmen, two senators, and a failed presidential candidate. Mm, yeah. So she grows up, and like her, her brothers, she calls them the four, which is also what she calls the si- Whoa, lead scientist what? at that place. <laughs> are yeah. we getting to the Can't twist? <laughs> she also earlier in issue one was like the five. I, I, mean, I mean the four. four so I, I don't know why I know all of this stuff about them, but I am definitely not part of them. From, from <laughs> yeah. issue that's one, that's why I think Daphne's right to be shitty the whole time because Felma's such an asshole. <laughs> and it's like it's not her fault one, though. Kinda. I mean, it is her fault yeah, causing yeah. this, but. <laughs> So, <laughs> I was just thinking, would Ryan say that he was friends with me, Sly, and Phil if we caused the apocalypse? <laughs> <laughs> Device of Issues, those guys. I wasn't on that podcast. <laughs> <laughs> so, she gives her sort of basically, as, as she's growing up and stuff, she, she was always alone. She just retreated more into herself because she was presented for an intelligence and ridiculed for her social awkwardness. And mm-hmm. she started to, like, really loathe and detest everyone for, like, pushing her more and more inside There's, herself. Yeah, and, like, Just a lot of scenes a, of this. She made another, mm-hmm. like, scrawny, uh, uh, like, really smart, nerdy friend. And then one summer, she, like, you know, blossomed, as they say. And then, like, all of a sudden, Velma couldn't relate to her at all and, like, lashed out and, like, basically told everyone in the school to fuck off. And, yeah. like, it's just, like, how everyone else, even when they're together, like, even when they're on the same level, when they develop at all, she can't keep up She with wasn't them. just it's telling not- them off. She was also, like, you act like you're so smart, so superior, but next to me, you're brain dead. She was also, like, being, like, I'm so smart. I'm smarter than everyone. Yeah. Which is I, a good... But it's, like, it's, it's like a mix of social anxiety and ego that which, I, I find really interesting. Yeah, I which I yeah. like, because a, a lot of times you get stories of just, like everyone's mean to this one person and they're like leave me alone and they run away and like people yell at them but i like that velma's thing is that it isn't just that she's socially anxious but she also does think that she's better than everyone else well it's yeah. i like this moment because there's there's a moment of inner conflict where she's like yes i am smarter but i shouldn't have said that and i yeah I, yeah so she's like having and this everyone else she realized that she didn't hurt everyone in return she only hurt the one friend she had made by yelling mm-hmm. that yeah. yeah, and then her father takes her home and embarrassed by her, he decides to homeschool her instead. Well, she convinces him of that mm-hmm. too, and then she goes to like the, um, the, South, the South Pole, Pole to do for, research. Like, a research thing. Yeah, and she, she can't handle that. She breaks there because then that's way too much loneliness. You can't interact with anyone there. But the thing that I really like about it is she goes there for four years, mm-hmm. and she's like, "And I was studying the coldness of space, the mm-hmm. light of distant stars, and everything was fine." Until it wasn't. And it's her just sitting in the dark crying. And, like, I really like the idea of, like, every time she does something, it's fine until she just breaks. Mm -hmm. And it's not fine anymore. And, like, I I really like that analysis of anxiety where it's not, like, in a lot of comics you'll see characters with anxiety that just have anxiety the whole time until they break through it. And I like that, like, she has years where it's fine. And then it's just not. Yeah. These Mm -hmm. characters feel like real people, which is good. And then she ends up meeting uh, the four her brothers. her brothers show up when she's at she's at like a rest home yeah she's, she's just like dad never help. visits but yeah but the the four arrive and they're like now they're all older one of them's like in the military one's in politics one's like works for the cia one's a scientist and they're like hey we need your help we have an idea for this complex where we can take private sector and government resources and make an organization that can make the world better mm-hmm. and we'll be and the we need- five <laughs> yeah it's it's kind of heartbreaking because she finally has a smile on her face when they say we'll be the five and it's like damn it mm. they played her like yeah. a fiddle and you know yeah. exactly what's going to happen because she found her acceptance in everything 
and this is when she finally feels like she like she has a place and she even she has like a nightmare about like movie monsters and stuff mm-hmm. and that's when she tells them it's like hey this is how project elysium which is what this is is gonna work is we just get rid of their you know their bad their, emotion bad impulses yeah mm-hmm. their aggression and so so it was her idea to yeah. put these nanites yeah. in people. And I really <laughs> like the idea of someone who's always felt like an outcast and like can't fit in with people. I like their like the idea of why don't we just make people not so shitty? Yeah. <laughs> and like I find that to be a really interesting like obviously it's not a moral <laughs> like good thing. And but, it works like, it I've... works well with her condescension too, where she's just like Yeah, exactly. Other exactly. everyone else just needs to like be fixed of their problems, their bad stuff. Yeah. Exactly. And while she lays this out to her brothers, she's like, you know, flushed, trembling. I waited for the response. Would they reject me? Would they laugh? And they clap. And it was like the happiest moment of her entire life. She finally got accepted. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then that's when we see her on the balcony in Paris. And this is when she lets out the the green black holes all over everywhere. (laughs) Yes. And then circles. (laughs) Yeah. And and then she discovers that the brothers had altered the work uh, about weeding out humankind's negative impulses mm-hmm. and instead breeding the kind of passivity that allow people to be easily controlled. And that's when she decide to contact Daphne. And she contacts Daphne because she's like, I need to pick someone who is off the radar. She's like, if I went to the New York Times or something, they would know right away. Yeah, there's connections yeah. to her brothers. Yeah, the complex has eyes everywhere. The thing that I really like is she doesn't call Daphne to save the world. She calls Daphne to punish her brothers for their betrayal mm. be, uh, lash out at them for hurting me just as i'd once lashed out lashed out at madeline mm-hmm. my friend was that petty of me perhaps did it make my task any less urgent no so like even her like whistleblowing like heel turn is because she still like just wants to punish people who didn't accept her yeah not because you know she like all of a sudden was like oh no what we did was wrong you know, and like I think that leads into why nobody trusts her. And the issue ends restating that point, hitting it home because Scooby Doo comes over to like just like check up on her because he's just a pure, kind-hearted dog. And mm-hmm. she yells at him. She's like, "Did Daphne send you here to spy on me? She doesn't trust me. She never did. None of you trust me. None of you like me." She says, "I don't care. Get on. Get out of here." She sends him away and starts crying and says, "Leave me alone." Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's kind of how these really end with this. <laughs> so there's another back. <laughs> oh yeah, I forgot because I was like reading this. I'm like, what does this have to do with anything? But it's Scrappy Doo <laughs> yeah. looking over, just being like, everyone. So all these dogs are dumb, but me. These humans are getting ripped apart by the monsters. But it's like, mm-hmm. ah, they deserve it. It doesn't matter. He's like, they were trying to make us military slaves, so yeah. they can die. Well, he yeah. he says that there was like some experiment put in him, but. He starts like scratching himself with his back leg, and he's like, "Well, shit, my my inner instincts are coming out. My augmentations are failing, so I really need to find yeah. Daphne." Yeah. So just before the complex went down, they implanted an array of experimental tech in me. Never had a chance to try mm-hmm. it out. Guess now's as good a time <laughs> as any. And he like activates all this big tech, and it makes him this big buff dog. He says, "Let me at him." Yeah. Yep. Let me, Let me at him. <laughs> but he's like giant, like. Where totally ripped. Dog. Yeah, we call that puppy power. Oh, <laughs> come on. <laughs> come on, that's that's pretty good. I think he does say that in a later issue. I think he does. Definitely. <laughs> Why not? He's like, I'm gonna kill Scooby-Doo. <laughs> Let me at him. Yeah. yeah. What, what a good twist. Scrappy's super annoying, always looking up to his uncle, and now he's like, let me murder him. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> there's a lot of hate of Scrappy out there. This is, I mean, the second time he's become a villain, so I kind of feel bad really? for him. Yeah. The oh. first live-action movie, he was the 
Spoilers for the live action. <laughs> Don't you fucking dare. No, I'm blocking my ears even though I saw it and forgot everything about it. Yeah, he was he was the main villain. He was yeah. um which there was a time in my life where I also hated Scrappy Doo, but that time is over. <laughs> You've come around. From, I've come around. From from three years old to twenty five. <laughs> yeah. So on the reread I was I felt the same way as you guys that I was like, God, there's a lot of extra dialogue. This is a slog. But by the last issue, I realized like what I really like about the series and like what they get into more later on with the characters and stuff. Like I think putting the Velma issue in the first trade was a very smart move because mm-hmm. I think it gives you a lot more insight into like the strength of the team rather than the weaknesses that we see a lot of early on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But so obviously I continued reading this and Nick continued read the, yeah. reading this. But so I have to ask you guys our usual question. Would you read more of this, Phil? No. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like if you guys really wanted me to, I would, but I, yeah. I didn't really enjoy reading it that much, even though I can take a step back and be like, it does a lot of good things. Yeah. It just felt for me most of the time they're driving around shooting monsters for six issues and yeah. being like, uh, fuck you for doing this. <laughs> and like, I, I understand, I guess the appeal is these interpersonal relationships, but I wasn't like so hooked by them that I'm like, yeah. I have to keep reading. I, I really, I'm like, cool. They took Scooby-Doo and they tried to make him dark. <laughs> yeah, we had talked to like when we were talking to Sly about this. He's like, "I'm glad that you guys are doing this because I don't care about Scooby Doo." And we're like, "We don't care about it." And he's like, "Don't you guys like apocalypse stories?" And we're like, "No." <laughs> like, we had zero interest. This I did warm up to this, especially by like the last one with the Velma. I'm like, "There's a lot of interesting bits and pieces here." The problem is, I'm just like, it took a long time to get started. And yeah. I like maybe some good things will happen. Like I was saying, like I really like that idea of Daphne having some kind of disorder or like personality issue. Mm-hmm. But again, like if that doesn't like come about, like that isn't a thing. They don't address it or they don't talk about it. Then I'm like, uh, I'd rather just not read this. Then if she's just really mean off and on for no reason. Yeah. Well, she's at, she's going through a stressful situation. <laughs> yeah, but I mean, like Shaggy's kind of going man. through stressful. He's puking his guts out, but he's not like intrinsically violent and stuff yeah i will say that it does get better but it is it does take a long time to get there hmm. yeah cool i mean i'll just i'll read anything with Giffen Mateus's name on it even if it takes forever to get there <laughs> but that's just like they've like earned you know like when you have creative teams you really love even when they're at their weakest you still like see the part that drew you to them in the first place yeah, yeah. so yeah yeah like it's it's definitely like well written my thing is it just i never if, if you don't like Scooby-Doo and you don't like apocalypse <laughs> stories and you don't find the dialogue that interesting except when it hits, when it has moments of heart, it's it would be hard to, like, keep going through this, especially when you don't like reading. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. So now, so, Nick, as the Scooby-Doo fan, uh-huh. where how do you, do you think that this, like, does it disservice to the Scooby-Doo, like, brand or do you think it, like, pushes it mm. in a different, in a unique way? Um, I think that it, temporarily pushes it in a unique way because i think that this a lot of people have asked for a gritty scooby-doo like riverdale or something and we got this and the book ah geez it's right on the tip of my tongue meddling kids is basically like a gritty scooby-doo but it's not scooby-doo it's like copyright adjacent characters gotcha gotcha um and i think that this is the closest we'll ever get and i think that they do probably the best that anyone probably could do with it because whenever I think about Scooby-Doo a lot, just understand that before I say what I'm about <laughs> to say, is that I, I try to think of 
how you would make an original story of Scooby-Doo from the ground up because they don't have a consistent villain like many other stories mm-hmm. do. Um, so you can't just be like, oh, well, here's this villain for the entire uh, trade paperback is the Creeper. Like, no one's going to give a shit. Um, so yeah. I feel like this is um, a, a good way to go. And I think that from kind of my experience interacting with what I will refer to as the community of Scooby-Doo <laughs> enthusiasts is that a lot of people were turned away up from this at the beginning because it was not your dad's Scooby-Doo. And it's another apocalypse story as, as if we haven't had enough of those at this point. Um, yeah. But I think that all that being said, that this is one of the few directions that it could have gone and been been a good story to tell. One of the things I wanted to ask you, Nick, because I, as I was reading this, I was trying to compare it. It's like, does a gritty reboot of Scooby-Doo work? Because I was like, why would it be in the apocalypse? And then I realized there is actually a lot of horror in Scooby-Doo. Like Shaggy and Scooby spend mm-hmm. most of the episodes like running away, being afraid and stuff. So it's like, oh, it makes sense. But I feel like the, one of the big things that's really missing is the the kind of like slice of life just like mystery aspect like who could have done yeah. it how do we like trap this person in this that's very fair the only mystery really is like why are they monsters but you don't get like a who did this or yeah and... i think that they tried to do that with velma a little bit i don't think that mm-hmm. it was as forward as it should have been i guess because there is a little bit of mystery there but it doesn't revolve around that it, it revolves around them running away from monsters more than it does the mystery that's so interesting of an analysis because I was going to ask Nick earlier, mm-hmm. like, well, or not even ask as much as like comment on that. I, I really like what you said about how, like at the beginning you were saying how like a lot of these characters are kind of like blank slate characters that have maybe one trait mm-hmm. or two traits. So like, how do you expand upon the core of the character when the core of the character is that like is a redhead? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> and like at the same time, when you don't have a lot of iconic villains, like where do you, when it like gets to the, ground basics of this franchise like what is that Mm -hmm. and i i i thought about it as like i I like what they do with the characters and everything but the core basics is that they're teenagers solving mysteries and having no mystery in it is definitely like a weird angle to take Mm -hmm. yeah like i don't think that they like fake a mystery like it's i think that they're just choosing to not go that route which is that's just like I don't know if it would work better as like a detective story. Yeah, I that's the like if they didn't go this route and they wanted to do something gritty, I'd prefer it if they went like like a noir story. Yeah, so like <laughs> back in the original days, what I love about Scooby Doo Where Are You, which is the first iteration of Scooby Doo, is that it feels really desolate and desperate, and the set pieces are are huge and empty. Like they're exploring mm. abandoned airfields or uh, abandoned theme parks yeah so it's it's sunken ships yeah it's big and empty and i i feel like if they went back to that and they're like exploring an abandoned theme park or something there's a lot of actual horror and mystery that could be there which would be more true to Mm scooby-doo where here we talk a lot about like the monster designs but like this is a very everything is very full yeah there's very rarely an empty set piece that's interesting yeah and that's i mean that's a criticism (laughs) that i have of later scooby-doos but um, that's for a different <laughs> this, different this show. This is the show to do that. <laughs> yeah. <on. laughs> uh, yeah. So anyway, speaking of other shows, 
we're still in the middle of our Patreon drive. So, Nick, would you like to talk a little bit about some of the things that you do on the Patreon that we probably haven't talked about because we're very vain and selfish when we talk about the things we're involved (laughs) with? Sure. So, uh, for as little as $1 a month toward our Patreon, you get access to exclusive live streams, uh, which usually is me, but anyone can show up. Like a couple months ago, Ryan showed up and we talked about comics for a very long time and <laughs> talked about podcasting no with L. Um, and it was a really good time. And I just, I was sitting there playing video games and talking to Ryan and L. Um, so we do that every month and it's just a dollar a month. You get stuff like that on top of many other things, which I'm sure you'll talk about. Yeah. So also at a dollar a month, you can also get uh, my monthly music blog has audio versions of the blog with all the music I talk about at the dollar a month level. And at the five dollar a month level, you get all the bonus episodes and a bunch of other stuff. And so, yeah, so you should check that out at the Patreon dot com slash flying machine link. I shouldn't have said at the because it is just that or at the flying machine dot network website. And we have, and also like in our Facebook group, Flying Machine Explorers Guild, you get a lot of updates every time we're doing anything new on the Patreon. That's where you find it. But also, like if you're a patron, you get like emails about all this stuff too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, cool. Nick, do you want to also plug your shows while you're here? Yeah, I would be more than happy to. So, over on the network, I have another show called Stranger Still, where me and John talk about. A lot of stuff. We we talk <laughs> about things that we find strange or intriguing, or if there's ever a time I'm like, I wonder how that works, then I'll be like, we need to do an episode about it so I can figure out how it works. But hey, it's, give some examples. Yeah, so it's, it's, <laughs> <laughs> it's anything from, like, we've done conspiracy theories, we've done alternative medicine, but we've also talked about uh, hot-button issues like Flint, Michigan, or Planned Parenthood, uh, we've also talked about other nonprofits like PETA and WWF and anything that we can find kind of a weird hook in. We want to learn more about it. We learn more about it and we try to make it fun to learn. And you have a lot of cool guests on sometimes, too. Like, I remember you have a true crime episode with somebody who's famous that I don't know. <laughs> yeah, he's, we had a we had the captain from True Crime Garage on our show um, to talk. It, he He has a true crime podcast, but we actually talked about. Uh, music and horror movies because his side gig is a musician other musicians like grant kirkhope yeah, we've who had... wrote the banjo kazooie soundtrack <laughs> yeah we had grant kirkhope on that was like a freaking dream come true we've also <laughs> had josh clark on the show to talk about post-humanism um we've had i've, I've been very starstruck many times just having them on our show so yeah give it a listen yeah and also, Limited Cell, you talk about Hanna-Barbera cartoons, right? Yeah, so Limited Cell I do with my dad. It's a generational Hanna-Barbera cartoon review show. So we go through the entire library of Hanna-Barbera cartoons. and like you watch them all together? Yeah, well, yeah, we watch a few uh, because okay. there's... Okay, I was there's like, a, the entire library. <laughs> yeah, we, we watch enough until we, we have a feel for the show, and then we, we describe the show and review it on like a scale from 1 to 10 on how good it is. Most of it is crap. Um, like I said you before, mean one, one to Scooby Doo. <laughs> I wish. <laughs> Actually, Scooby Doo. I think I gave it like a nine point two five. I didn't oh, think you had a full ten. Um, 
I feel like I... It's the most important thing in my life, but it's not perfect. <laughs> yeah, but go listen to the episode. I define, I defend myself very well, I think. Um, also, in that episode, my dad was hopped up on pain pills because he just had knee surgery. So go listen to that episode. So it's you like took advantage of, of him all hopped up to <laughs> yeah. get him to agree that Scooby-Doo's a 9.25. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, but we've also... Um, there's some, some surprise hits in there, like um, the Buford Files, which is a total ripoff of Scooby-Doo, but we really like... What the hell is yeah exactly <laughs> it's like a, a purple dog he's like a purple bloodhound and he's the weirdest character design ever but we liked it and thank you so much for joining us nick yeah, it was this a pleasure a lot of fun i'll always talk about scooby-doo kidding me thank you for listening to divisive issues i've been beating phil and daryl to death with exposition bubbles i've been becky with the hair I've been like the best Shaggy impersonator you've ever heard, man. And I've been Scooby Dooby Doo. Stay in continuity. I give you the incredible flying machine. One of the things. Uh, it's go oh, ahead. sorry. Go ahead, Daryl. Phil, were you going to say something or were you going to be snide? <laughs> I was going to be snide, so go ahead. <laughs> so now I I'll need go, to hear I'll it. Go. <laughs> yeah, say it. Go, go ahead. I was go. just going to say, final question, uh, Scooby-Dooby-Doo, where are you? <laughs> <laughs> I'll accept well, it. That's what? not anything.